Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and don't punch a dude at the supermarket unless you're expecting to get headbutted back. All right. Makes it sound like we got some sort of action movie coming up here in this episode. I, I mean, Josh, these are what this is one of those where uh like kind of like a more earlier this year, I'm like, ooh, what do I say here? <laughs> yeah, this is, I believe, the end of our kind of series of uh downer movies that we've covered this season for uh just the kind of how it ended up going. But uh, what is that happy film that we're talking about? Well, this season we've been talking about the films of 2012, and this is our foreign film pick, and it is called The Hunt from Danish director Thomas Vinterberg and starring superstar Danish actor Maz Mikkelsen. And Jason, I know that when we were planning this season, this is a movie that you were really eager for us to cover. Well... Three reasons. One, the two people you just mentioned, I've been on record as saying, I think, I mean, look, it's only a matter of time before Mads gets an Oscar, I think, you know? Yeah. And uh, obviously, Vintenberg already uh, won one with uh, another round, one of my favorite movies of the year that it came out and, uh, you know, that stars Mads. And then this is a, this is a, a hard movie to cover, but it was um taking on a very serious subject matter and trying to portray it in an honest way and um i think more than anything i wanted to look at vinterberg look at mads we haven't done anything danish yet in our exploration of uh foreign cinema so it was it was kind of those things and then this was the one that i think um you know i know with vinterberg like he was on the map with the celebration but like maybe this was the first where the 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 two really came together and became like a, a force in the um, in the international cinema world. Yeah. And in terms of Vinterberg, he he did make a big breakthrough with the celebration, which I, I believe is his is I don't know if it's his first film, but an earlier film from 1998. So quite a few years before this. And then the movies he made in between that and this one were less successful, less highly regarded. And so this was sort of a maybe a comeback in a way or a, a further breakthrough for him on the international scene. And, and as you said, this kind of kicked off a collaboration for him and Maz Mikkelsen, which has be, was very successful in another round. Although I think going into this episode, I figured, oh, they must've made a bunch of movies together, but it's actually just those two that they've done together. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I guess we just consider them as an entity of this type <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think maybe also because um, there are, you know, not that many people in the Danish film industry. And I feel like they've all worked together in different configurations. And other directors that Maz Mikkelsen has worked with are part of either the like the dogma movement or, or sort of adjacent to it or whatever. And so they're all kind of collaborating in uh, in these different configurations. And Thomas Bo Larson, who plays Teo, and this is in a ton of movies by Vinterberg. Yeah, he's maybe more of that like longtime collaborator with Thomas Vinterberg, but certainly a fruitful collaboration here between Mickelson and Vinterberg. And this movie was a big success, um, not only critically and awards wise, but also financially. I mean, as you said, this is an extremely difficult 
film to watch. It's tough subject matter, but it managed to gross $18.3 million on its budget of $3.45 million. So I think for a movie of this type and this scale, that's that's not bad. Um, it premiered at the 2012 Cannes Film Festival and uh, was released more widely in the U.S., at least in 2013. It was nominated at the Oscars in 2013 for Best Foreign Language Film, although it lost to Paolo Sorrentino's film The Great Beauty. Uh, also nominated at the BAFTAs, the Golden Globes, the Independent Spirits for Best Foreign Film. Did not win any of those, but also a whole bunch of critic awards. Uh, Long-ass list of those. Josh, have you seen The Great Beauty? Yeah, I had. But the, it's one of those movies where I had to go to Letterboxd to check if I had seen it. So it was yeah. not a super memorable experience for me. <clears throat> Mads won Best uh, Actor at Cannes 2012. Yeah. And uh, I will say up front that I am not a huge fan of this film, but certainly his performance is impressive. And again, a, a tough thing to pull off. Everything about this movie is just it's difficult to create it's difficult to balance tonally and you know and then it's difficult for us to watch so i i'm i'm impressed with the achievement of his performance even though i have some some issues maybe with this film well you know josh earlier you were talking about when we were talking about michael hanukkah and amor you said you get to a point with characters where you feel like the the filmmaker sometimes is just pouring it on and it like you get to the threshold and once you pass that threshold it just feels like they're torturing the character to torture you. And I felt watching this, this definitely had moments like that. Yeah, I really feel that way about this movie, more so than Amor, really, which you could make that argument about. And you can certainly make that argument about Michael Hanukkah in general, as we talked about. But in Amor, I guess I just felt more emotionally engaged with it. And this movie, uh, and we should say, um, what exactly is going on here? Maz Mickelson, he plays Lucas, who is a kindergarten teacher who faces accusations that are clearly untrue, that the movie, there's no ambiguity here. The movie makes it very clear that he is innocent. He did not do this, but he is accused of uh, sexually abusing a young girl in his class and virtually everyone in his life turns on him and uh, does things like, as uh, alluded to, beats him up in the grocery store. And it, it really is just a movie about piling on the terrible, terrible stuff for this poor, innocent guy. Yeah, uh, that scene takes place after he was cleared of those charges, too, right? So now you think we're going to have this break where like people start to come down and look at the situation differently. But uh, like you said, they a lot of them just continue to pile on. Right. And I think part of the point of this film is the idea that regardless of any sort of official declaration of his innocence or clear evidence, I mean, the reason that he is sort of legally off the hook is because there's this very clear evidence that the children uh, are not telling the truth about what happened. And yet people just kind of assume the worst or they are unwilling perhaps to recognize that they have been wrong or something like that. And it continues uh, despite evidence to the contrary. And this probably isn't a good comparison, but um, I listened to like uh, 
you know, at least one uh, long form podcast series on the satanic panic. I guess that is a good comparison. No, that is actually yeah. a very good comparison. It is. Yeah, a very apt yeah. comparison. Yeah. Which uh, in like the late 80s, early 90s in, in both America and Canada, right? They thought these like kindergarten or daycare workers were, you know, uh, forming a cult and abusing children and sacrificing children and all this stuff. And, um, you know, it became a, a nationwide panic and like, you know, a, a witch hunt for uh, for these people whose lives were, uh, you know, changed, uh, you know, after all that. And um, I think probably the same thing happened even after they were found that the charges were just not true. They probably they probably had to deal with uh, more backlash anyway. Right. And I think that's absolutely an inspiration here. And it relates back also to another film that we talked about, Paradise Lost, which is not about people being accused of of this of sexual molestation, although I suppose there's there was that, too. But it was it was murder as well. But that went along with the whole satanic panic and was from, you know, that that case originated around that period. And, uh, you know, uh, that's obviously a very famous and very long saga of innocent people being, you know, their lives being completely destroyed. And Josh, you kind of alluded to something here where it was the children weren't telling the truth. So first it was one kid who said something and then, you know, uh, all the children started saying the same story, right? And right. Um, one of the most uncomfortable scenes in the movie for me is when the school, I guess she's the principal there, Greta is Greta. Yes. She brings in her friend who I'm not exactly sure what this guy's job is. Right. Right. Yeah. That was unclear if he was some sort of psychologist or why exactly he was brought in as the first person to uh, consult about this. Right. So he interviews the little girl, Clara, who made the accusation. Right. And, you know, I, I, (laughs) Well, no expert on the law. I've listened to enough podcasts to know like uh, what questions are leading and you know what what the type of questions you're allowed to ask. And I think probably from listening to the Satanic Panic podcasts, like you know they talked about that, like how they would lead the children to give them the answers they want. And that was really an uncomfortable scene because you could clearly see he had an agenda of getting the answers that he wanted, no matter what it felt like. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when I say the children are lying, I mean, that is that is what happens. But I think the blame does not go to the children. The blame goes to those adults. It goes to the people like that character you're describing who make those leading questions and and give the children the impression that what they want to hear is this accusation. And these children are not fully understanding what they're saying and are just going along with what adults want from them. Right. They don't know. They, you know, once one person says it, they all say it. And, you know, they probably don't know what they're saying, but they believe what they're saying because they, you know, hey, this is what I'm being told to say or whatever. You know, and there's a scene with um, Clara and her mom where she tries to say, I just I just said, I mean, you know, she says it to both her parents at different points in the movie. I just said something stupid and I didn't mean it. And then she says, like, you might not remember it, but what you said was the truth. And it's, a, you know, it's good that you said it. And it's like, uh, you know, the mom's also in an incredibly difficult position there. So uh, the cloudy judgment is, uh, you know, has to be looked at from different angles, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, despite what this movie is about, in the vast majority of these cases, that is 
the right attitude that the mom is taking that that the, the accusations are true and that children will perhaps want things to go away and thus will say oh it, i i it, i don't remember or whatever when in fact abuse has taken place so you know it's hard to blame a character like that like you said the mom who is not one she's not on the front line of sort of leading people in the wrong direction um but everyone is in yes a very difficult often impossible position but i thought you know to get back to an earlier point like you know we got there and then there was a chance for the schism or for it to go a little differently after all those charges were dropped and then i could see where that could be for a viewer something that would be even let's say diminishing returns because the the town really still does pile on him at that point yes and you're almost it's another issue, and I know where is is the idea of like he's Danish, and I had to take this into account, right? Like, because I'm like, you know, I feel like if he was American, right? Like, and uh, there was a false accusation, he'd be like screaming from the mountaintop and defending himself, and he'd have a podcast. And... I mean, and you know, and you, and there are points and times where you're like, come on, Lucas, like stand up for yourself here, right? You know, right, right. You want that, and um, it just, uh, I, I. I wonder if that is a cultural difference. Yeah, I think it might be, or I think it might even be, even though this movie is only like 10 years old, that a lot has changed in that time period in terms of sort of uh, social media. I mean, we don't really have any mention of social media in this film. Or again, I mean, I joked about podcasts, but things like that, where any accusation like this and the defense against that accusation is endlessly discussed you know it would be there would be a whole online mob of people against him and then there'd be a whole other online mob of people defending him you know things like that that just maybe weren't so prevalent in this time period well josh when you remake the hunt you can add those elements to it i guess i, so. I will yeah that sounds horrible <laughs> um, so critics were very positive about this film overall and hornaday in the washington post said, Danish actor Maz Mikkelsen delivers an astonishingly restrained and expressive central performance in The Hunt, an engrossing psychosocial drama by Thomas Vinterberg. With superbly calibrated emotion, action, and narrative tension, the two create an atmosphere that's both banal and nightmarish, as one man's unremarkable life spirals into a Kafkaesque labyrinth of misunderstanding and suspicion. As much as The Hunt is an unsettlingly convincing portrait of one man's struggle against a single falsehood, it's also a study in collective hysteria, superstition, and unconditional belief. In this case, in the shibboleths that children are always to be believed and that predators are easily recognized. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like other movies where like a kid throws out a false allegation and it like kind of uh, brings down a, a person. Do you have any others that you would compare this to? Um, I mean, I saw maybe it was on Letterbox somewhere or someone else uh, comparing this to The Children's Hour, which, um, you know, is a play that was made into, I think, multiple different film versions. Um, and I've seen one film version that is uh, the the one the heavily censored, let's say, version made during the the, the Hayes Code period. Where and the idea, the, the what happens there is that a child accuses, and I guess it's not a false accusation. The the teachers of having a 
relationship with each other. It's a, the teachers of being lesbians. And I, I don't know, like I should, I should have looked this up because I'm trying to remember exactly what it is, whether it's a false accusation or rather that it's a true accusation, but it's something that's meant to be kept secret and it ruins the lives of the teachers. But it does come from children making an accusation that ruins adults' lives. What was the one with Philip Seymour Hoffman? That's what I was going to say. Doubt. Yeah, doubt. Yes. Yeah. That one is the only thing I could yeah, think of. That, yeah. that, that is similar in, uh, in the theme. And, and I mean, and I think there's probably others that we're not thinking of. And I think also something that might come up with, and I'm trying to remember if this is the case in doubt, and I'm guessing it maybe it is from the title, but I'm not hundred percent sure. But the idea where like, we maybe don't know at first whether right. the accusation is true. And that's something that Vinterberg is clearly not wanting to do that. It, it is very obvious here that Lucas did not do what he's accused of doing. And I think another kind of movie might play out the question for the audience of did he really do it and put you in the position of some of his you know friends and coworkers where they have to wonder could this possibly be true about him but that's not what's going on here yeah i think it was important that they had uh, at least one character that character brune who stuck by him because if it was i mean if it was just him and his son against the the whole world that would have that probably would have been a bit too much like you need at least the the both both sides of the coin on this thing. Yeah. And it, it is to me, at least a bit much, even with the one character who defends him and his whole family, Brune, you see in the one scene where he's enlisted, like his father, who it's unclear as he, if he's like a lawyer or something like that. And, and his brothers-in-law and all these people who are kind of helping him to support Lucas, but he really is the only one. Yeah. Um, so David Rooney in the Hollywood reporter said, Propelled by Maz Mickelson's shattering performance. Do you as keep the... calling him Maz? Yeah, I believe that's actually how it's supposed to be pronounced. Is it? I think so. I think it's Mads. I mean, I know that's how it's spelled, but <laughs> if you look at the like, pronoun... I, I looked this up one time for something else I think that we were talking about, or maybe I was talking about it on TV or something. And yeah, Wikipedia actually has a, a recording of him saying it. And he says, Maz Mickelson. Oh, can you do that from now on then? <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll pronounce it like that. <laughs> I'll think... just, Dave, you can take the recording off of Wikipedia and just insert it every time we want to say his name. Every time you yeah. say it. Yeah. You think he's going to be bummed that I keep calling him Mads? Is he going to be Mads about oh, it? There you go. <laughs> no, I think probably most, I like, I, I have this like, you know, I want to call him that too because I feel like that's what most people are saying and that's the way it looks to us. But I think it's supposed to be Maz or Maz or something, it's you know, we're, it's we're not going to pronounce it right, you know, anyway. Maz. Yeah. But yeah. In Jersey, it's Mads. That's what I'm Maz. calling you, yeah. guy. I mean, you can do whatever. Like, I don't think we need to make a big deal of it, but um, yeah. I just I, kept hearing you say it, and I'm like, am I just not hearing him correctly or what is going on? But no, you no, actually I mean, did the background work and showed, uh, you know, cultural sensitivity. <laughs> Or Dave and I just look like a bunch of king guys. <laughs> no, it's it, we're gonna get a one star rating on Apple Podcasts from Maz yeah, Mickelson oh saying God. this this guy kept saying Maz. Highlight of our entire uh, <laughs> run here on Awesome Media. Yeah, I remember that sketch from uh, In Living Color where they were doing like um, a takeoff on Do the Right Thing, right? And uh, this woman walks in and she's like, you know, my name is Shaw Day, and he goes, "This is Brooklyn. It's Sadie." <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> yeah so uh go to your review josh tell us about maz all right so david rooney in the hollywood reporter 
said, Propelled by Maz Mikkelsen's shattering performance as the blameless man whose life threatens to be destroyed, the film is superbly acted by a cast that never strikes a false note or softens the impact with consolatory sentiment. The same strengths distinguish Vinterberg and Tobias Lindholm's screenplay, which spins a psychological horror story rooted at every step in credible reality. The film is fundamentally about the speed at which lies, gossip, and innuendo can become cemented as fact in public opinion, and about the disturbing power of suggestion on young minds. But it's also about the fragile nature of trust in communities and among friends, particularly men. It shows how easily masculine bonds stretching back years can be broken, and how willingly a band of brothers can betray one of its own. Right. You get the beginning of this movie and it's just about Lucas, played by Maz Mikkelsen yes. and uh, Mikkelsen and uh, all of his uh, all of his homies. Right. And they're just doing like they're broing down a bunch. They're they're in the lake. They're drinking. They're playing games together. And you're you know, knowing what this movie's about, you're like, huh, this is an interesting way to begin it. But then it really kind of plays in like all those tentacles uh you know really play into the 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 story as it develops yeah i mean and there is that very macho kind of self-image that all these guys have that i mean that's why he keeps getting beat up because like that's their response to someone is threatening uh, they believe their children in some way and it's like we got to go we got to go punch this guy or we got to throw a rock through his window we got to kill his dog we got to do something violent against him because that's sort of this this macho response but i don't know i'm not going to necessarily agree because you know the women are upset with him too we don't know it could have been a woman who killed the dog we don't know that you know that so. is true we never find out who killed the dog but by I the think way the, the killing of fanny that could have been one of those moments where you're like all right we're we're really just <laughs> burying the audience on this one, yeah right? i mean and i think so i really do especially because you know we spend so much time not only is it is it Lucas's dog that he loves and his son loves the dog, but Clara, the, you know, pseudo victim here or whatever, she also loves the dog. And she, even after the accusations have come out, she comes to his house and says, oh, can I walk Fanny? And he's like, oh, well, not now, maybe in the future, but of course not. So it did seem like it was kind of piling it on a bit there with, with the dog. But I, I mean, I think another thing related to, to what he's saying here in this review is the idea that this is a small town that there's no sort of refuge for him uh, other than his one friend. You know, the reason that he, in, in part, maybe that he gets beat up at the grocery store that he keeps coming back is because this is like a place where there's only one grocery store. If he doesn't go to that store, he's not going to get food. So, you know, it's the way that, that this everyone knows everyone and they all kind of, once they decide that this is what's going on, everyone circles the wagons, you know, around him. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Yes. I mean, there's no pro proverbial wagons, I suppose. No, no, there's not. But, but there uh, is some circling. Yes. Uh, so I, I, a slightly less enthused response I, I did want to get in here because this echoes some of my feelings. Uh, Mike D'Angelo in the AV Club said, Director Thomas Vinterberg is no stranger to this sort of emotional hysteria, having made his name with the celebration which pivots on a similar accusation made by an adult child years after the fact. And after a decade of ill-conceived experiments like It's All About Love and Dear Wendy, it's good to see him back in quasi-dogma mode, 
focusing on intimate behavioral details in a heightened but fundamentally naturalistic setting. But while the hunt is very well made, it's also exactly what you'd expect given its subject matter. There's no suggestion that Lucas might be guilty, nor any other complication. He's a pure, noble victim, and the film merely observes sorrowfully as his life falls apart, with special emphasis on the destruction of his closest friendship. Also, while false accusations of sexual abuse no doubt still happen, the lynch mob mentality depicted here feels several decades out of date. Do you think so? I mean, it weirdly, like, yes, in 2012, because it is hearkening back to, as you're talking about, the satanic panic. But I feel like maybe this is the kind of thing that's circled back around in a different kind of way now. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. it was sort of in this weird period where I think he's right to say that then, but he wouldn't necessarily be right to say it if the movie came out now. Good point, Josh. Thank you. Um, I mean, my concerns with the film are more about what he's talking about earlier. And again, as we've sort of mentioned, the idea that this is just here is this guy who's not only done nothing wrong, but he's really seems like a, a super great guy. You know, he's great with the kids. It's not like he didn't. He just he didn't just not abuse them like he is great with them. He's so sensitive. He's so nice. He cares about his son. He has this new girlfriend that he's into, like everything. And then they just like slam him with horrible stuff happening to him for no reason whatsoever. And he becomes this martyr. And I just think it it, it, it gets to be a bit much. I mean, it, Mickelson's performance is really good, but I think 40 minutes into this movie, I was like, and I'd seen it before, but still I was like, all right, I feel like I've gotten everything that I'm going to get out of this. And now we just have to like be punished for another 80 minutes or whatever. Hmm. I, I, that's fair. I still think, you know, cause I know Dave liked it and I liked it more than you. Vinterberg uh, is such an interesting director now. And Mickelson is such a, uh, powerful uh, presence on screen. And, um, you know, as you know, I'm I'm a big fan of Nordic Noirs. And I think we're getting closer to that point where like, and all these guys work in like limited series and stuff like that too. Like, I just think there's so much they offer the world of art. Like, even if we all hated it, I would say it would still be worth covering just to track these guys. And, uh, but, um, you know, we have differing, some differing opinions on it. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's not worth covering. I mean, certainly, as we just laid out, it was highly acclaimed and awarded and successful and, and all of that. So I think it's worthy of discussion, uh, which we've done a lot of already. But is there anything else on the background you want I'd, to mention? I've never seen it. I know we always talk about that. I had never yes. seen it. Uh, I think, I mean, I loved Another Round. And and now this gives, I really didn't go back and kind of... Uh, watch other Vinterberg stuff there. I did watch The Celebration, which is bonkers uh, as well and deals with some similar themes here in a perhaps a uh, different tone. But uh, he he he's a guy who takes big, big swings. And I like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I respect that as well. And I was hoping to watch The Celebration, but didn't end up having time for it. Uh, I had seen this before. Uh, I maybe not right when it came out, but probably not that long after because it was a, such an acclaimed and awarded film. I think it was probably something that I wanted to catch up on around that time. And, uh, you know, I I had similar thoughts then that I did now, that I, I do respect the effort and I think there's a lot of talent involved here, but I felt like the subject matter was just sort of belabored over time. Um, I was hoping maybe to like it a little more, um, but it was, yeah, it was a rough go for me this time as well, I think. But uh, Dave, you had not seen this and loved it, right? <laughs> 
Oh, I, I loved it. Yeah. I, I, you know, we'll get into that later, but yeah, I had never seen it. And the only thing I knew going in was that it was the other collaboration between Maz and uh, the director of another round. So um, I didn't know anything about it going in. I didn't even know what it was about. Oh, wow. So that's, yeah. uh, that's got to be some uh, surprising developments there. If you watch yeah. this, not realizing like, what a yeah. nice guy, <laughs> what yeah. a lovely little story about a kindergarten teacher. I like uh, this fella. Yeah. <laughs> the weird thing is, is uh, Dave brought it in uh, to the class the day he was substitute teaching a kindergarten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. We'll, we'll come back and get some more general thoughts on the hunt. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2012, we have been talking about The Hunt from Danish director Thomas Vinterberg, starring Maz Mikkelsen. And we've talked a lot about a lot of the stuff going on, the heavy stuff going on in this film. And so I, I don't know, Jason, again, I know you were eager for us to include this. And did did it live up to your expectations? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I had any expectations. I just like I am very uh, obviously aware of the ascent of our friend Maz, who is going to be in the new uh, Indiana Jones coming up. Right. Yes, and yeah. uh, I think Vinterberg is one of the more interesting. Like, I mean, it's not just that. I mean, Tobias Lindholm co-wrote this and I didn't like his movie, his last movie, but he's got a lot of good projects. And And like I said, like when we pick a foreign film a lot of the time unless there's one that just like we got to do this like we're trying to like showcase different filmmaking areas of the world and and we hadn't covered um you know we haven't i mean we've covered Werner herzog so that's like about the closest we've gotten to scandinavia right so right right yeah which is not that at all you know so and a herzog movie that was mostly set in america right that we so about. so we haven't dealt with the the nordic countries which like i said i watch a lot of these Nordic noirs, I like the style of filmmaking. I think this one is particularly interesting because Vinterberg also was one of the founders of Dogma 95. And the celebration is the first Dogma 95 movie, right? So this is not a, I don't think, a Dogma 95 movie, but you can see influences of it throughout, you know? Right. I think all of those Dogma filmmakers, they fairly quickly abandoned those like really, really rigorous principles that they had come up with for the idea of Dogma 95 with, you know, only natural lighting and things like that. And I forget what else, but there's a whole list of the stylistic uh, requirements that that all of them have have gone away from, which is fine, I think, because it, it is limiting in a way. Yeah, it um, was cool in like the late 90s when they started it. And we now we have like these kind of di digital cameras and it was like, Hey, look, we're trying to make this so everyone can make a movie, right? So they were, the spirit was there. And now I think like they've all kind of progressed in different ways. Uh, as for like, was it everything I hoped for? I don't really have hopes with movies like this, Josh. Like <laughs> I found it to be an interesting, uh, unrelenting piece. Uh, we've all already spotlighted how good of an actor Maz is. Like we should, you know, in the legacies text and talk about some of his other films. And, um, you know, I just think like, like I said, Vinterberg, like if I take this, if I take the celebration and I take another round, like here's a guy who's like a real artist, right? Like he's trying to tell hard stories in his own way. And I think he largely succeeds. And um, this one, I thought he somehow 
came up with a pretty good ending. Like he he got the ending pretty right after like that hard, unrelenting hour and 40 minutes. The last four nice break <laughs> until the absolute last shot of the movie. Right. Which we can spoil now. Right. Sure. What happens is, you know, he goes through all this, kicks his girlfriend out because she starts asking him. Uh, his son's not allowed to see him. All this like, you know, pile on, pile on, pile on. And then, you know, um, his, uh, you know, the charges are dropped. People are still very mean and suspecting of him. Um, but the what we have to say is the daughter, the little girl who accuses him is his best friend's daughter. Right. Right. So that is another dynamic that they had to kind of play with. That's uh, Thomas Bo Larson, who plays Teo. And, you know, there are moments where there's hatred and vitriol from Teo. Um, and then he kind of sees like, hey, um, this isn't this isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. You know, we were protecting our daughter, but now we have to like realize like what is what is the truth? Right. So there's an interesting scene where Teo goes over. On Christmas, by the way, is this a Christmas movie, Josh? <laughs> yep, <laughs> sure. So. You want it to be a Christmas movie? This and Man Bites Dog, Jason's right. Christmas movie canon has a very interesting. <laughs> what an uh, what an article, right? Christmas movies that aren't about Christmas or that depress you on Christmas. Or yeah, something like I mean, that. not just not about Christmas, but Christmas movies that will make you feel despair for for humanity. Yeah. But this yeah. one, th I mean, this one, as opposed to Man Bites Dog, where it's just kind of said in that in the background, this one. Christmas plays a part in the movie, right? So it, know, it does. Yes. Yeah. That's what people always argue. Oh, Die Hard. It doesn't play a part in it. And it's like, yes, it takes place at a Christmas party. Of course it does. But um, yeah, so there's that scene where he brings him Christmas dinner and they just kind of like sit quietly and he's like, you can go. And he goes, I think I'll stay, you know, and it was like, um, you know, that there, there's a lot of relationships that were explored and dissected, I think. And overall, more successful i think than you thought right and i and i don't you know again i feel like there's i'm not critical that the acting is really good i think vinterberg is a smart and capable director i i just feel like this has one note to play and it's almost sadistic in the way that it goes at lucas and by extension the audience because of course we sympathize with him we identify with him and his and, son and his son also. Right. And it, yeah, his son too, who gets even, even if Lucas had done something wrong, you know, the son certainly hasn't, right. and he still gets all this mistreatment. So yeah, I, I, again, I just felt like I think 40 minutes or so into this, I, I thought, and, and I maybe just also because I knew having seen it before, although I didn't remember all the details, but I thought, I, I just don't know what else I'm going to get from this film that I haven't already understood by watching this initial part of it. And, and, and I didn't really, I mean, until maybe until the end where, like you say, uh, you know, there's sort of this reconciliation or whatever at Christmas. And then it, it cuts to many months later, we're back at this hunting trip that we started the movie with. Right. And everyone seems to have maybe made up a bit, although not entirely. I mean, there's a scene of this group sitting, they're all sitting around the table and acting jovial, but we see shots of some people giving Lucas kind of a stink eye still. Clearly not everyone has forgiven or has, uh, you know, moved past this, even if technically he is not under any sort of accusation anymore. We don't know 
what kind does did he get a new job or is he able to be a teacher again or anything like that um but i do think that was that a way that it showed that this is just something that's going to kind of continue to be in the background you know it could have ended with something a lot more drastic uh it could have ended with him getting beat to death or whatever right i mean if we really just wanted to unrelentingly go at him it could have ended with his life being utterly irrevocably destroyed in some other way. And that's not what happens. So what happens, and here's the spoiler, kids, is uh, they're on the, the the hunting trip the next year and Lucas is alone in the woods and he's tracking a deer. And the way it's shot, you're like, man, someone is tracking him. He's the one who's going to be shot, right? And that's what almost happens. Uh, someone uh, shoots at him uh, as like a warning shot to let him know like, hey, I could kill you. I didn't, but just know I could. And we see like Lucas kind of uh, processing that. And that's the end of the movie. There is an ending, uh, I think, on the DVD where that does happen, where someone shoots him and just leaves him to die in the woods. Uh, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah which so you like... would have really liked, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm glad they didn't. he didn't do that. Because, again, I feel like this is just piling on so much. And, uh, I mean, maybe also because I... I Think back to another Dogma 95 filmmaker, Lars von Trier, who is really known for that. I mean, a lot of early Lars von Trier movies are just like, how much shit can I like pile on this poor, innocent protagonist and just put them through absolute hell with no redemption whatsoever? Yeah, it, I, I don't think I've perfected it, but I, I, I think you know this, Josh, in my uh, in my comedy act, I do this joke about how I think like murder shows from different countries represent um kind of like the attitude of those countries right and like you know like a murder show in england will be like i'm a cupcake baker by day but at night i rode the countryside solving cold cases you tune in for fatty cupcakes private eye right you know and then so it's like fun and jovial and then you get to these nordic noirs and it's like another headless torso has been found in the fjord it is freezing cold and we have no staff nor any leads. It's just another day here in Reykjavik, you know, or whatever. And it just feels like darker. But then, you know, you hear about uh, all these like happiness uh, meters, I guess, or tests. And like Scandinavian people are some of the happiest and most satisfied people in the world. They just must get joy out of these very dark pieces, I guess. So. I should move there. They're, they're just like channeling <laughs> all of that darkness into their films and TV shows. Yeah, so, so they, they can, can live, live their, their normal lives, lives right? Yeah, so. Yes, exactly. Um, Josh, do you think, you know, I, I brought up the point of like, I wanted to see Lucas stand up for himself a little more. Do you think for you uh, and your criticisms, do you think that would have uh, kind of helped the movie along for you? I mean, maybe, but I feel like with the tone of this film, that would have just made things worse for him, you know? So it it is, I agree with you, it is frustrating in certain scenes where you're like, why don't you say more? Or like, you know, when when he first is having that meeting with Greta, who really is like the villain of this film, <laughs> um, who just makes all these terrible assumptions and leads the children in this, this direction. W once he realizes that he's actually being accused of this, like, why doesn't he ask for a lawyer? We we don't really see. Again, there's the one scene with, with Brune's family where maybe Brune's father is a lawyer, but that's not even entirely clear. Yeah, so things like that are a bit frustrating. And I think they tie into the idea that he's just like so hapless, that the, all these horrible things are happening to him. 
And he's so innocent that he doesn't even think that it could be possible. And thus he might need a lawyer or some kind of defense. Yeah. You know, I think this could like say that say someone would remake this. I think the way to remake this is as a limited series and expand out what you're talking about, right? Like you have the accusation and then maybe the resolution. And then what would be interesting is to say like, okay, I was falsely accused. Now I want justice for myself. Like what happens? Does he go after the school? Does he sue Greta? What happens to her? Like, I feel like there's more story to be told on this. Oh, that sounds way worse, honestly. Oh, good. Like, drag this out. I'm glad glad you're not greenlighting any of these things. (laughs) No, no. I was thinking three or four. Not all these have to be six. No, no. It was already long enough. I don't need it to be (laughs) even one hour long. Like, no, thank you. All right. Well, Dave, you want to chime in? Because I think you liked it the best out of all of us. Yeah, I loved this movie. But I also agree with Josh that it would be a bad idea. Because also... You know, that's like the main thing with the movie is that once these people convince themselves uh, that they know what happened in this situation, uh, they're not going to be unconvinced of that. They're they're not their minds are not going to be changed. So no matter what he does to try to get justice, he's he's not going to get it. So we're just going to be following extra episodes of him not getting justice, basically. So uh, but yeah, I I love this movie. I, I thought it was just fantastic. And I think it Mainly it's because it's a story that we don't see. Like we were talking at the very beginning of the conversation about how, you know, there's movies about uh, accusations that ruin someone's life, but they're usually true. And in real life, they're usually true too. But this is a story that uh, doesn't get told very often. And I think it's just so perfectly told. Yeah, it's certainly, I feel like it's engrossing. No, I mean, even though I was frustrated with it, it, it still is presented in a way that does, that immerses you in. I think. And, and, you know, the performances too give you the sense that, uh, you know, you're, you're really right there with the characters, even if you're very, very frustrated and, and outraged at times. Should we rate this Josh? Well, I want to give one more, more shout out here. Um, an aspect of the movie that I was really impressed with. And, you know, we talk about Maz Mikkelsen a lot, of course, because he's so famous, but I really wanted to give credit to Annika Wetterkopp, or Vetterkop, uh, here we go. I can mispronounce someone else's name. The little girl. That one up. The little girl, because that's an incredibly difficult thing to pull off. And also credit to Thomas Vinterberg, yeah. because something like yeah. that, where there's so many layers to that performance. And, and obviously, this actor is the same age as the child that she's playing. And, you know, is, is the, the character is believably kind of confused and doesn't understand the implications of what she's doing. So, I mean, I think as a director, to be able to get a child to understand how to play not understanding this situation has got to be incredibly difficult. And and she pulls it off really, really well. Like, it is a very naturalistic performance. It's very believable. It's one of the most impressive child performances I've seen. And you hate kids. I do. I really do. Um, I mean, but I didn't hate this kid. And I think that's one other thing that I kind of mentioned earlier on. And some of the like letterbox reviews and social media comments I saw, people are like, oh, my God, I hated this kid so much. And it's like, no, she's a victim, too. She's just as much. I mean, maybe not just as much, but nearly as much a victim as Lucas is of these parents who who are sort of leading her into this position or who in a weird, maybe perverse way, like want this to be true so that they can have an enemy to fight against. I don't, I, you know, I, you keep saying the parents, I think it's, I think it, right. Or you it's said, Greta, yeah, Greta mainly. It's the and teacher that, that and the invest, yeah. that investigator. And like, yes. I mean, 
yeah, you never want to be put in any position. I I can't. There's no way as a parent to to think uh, clearly the right way, the wrong way, whatever. And you know, you have to let it all play out. I guess at that point in time. So you know, I put less blame on the parents there. Right. No. No. That's fair. And I think we don't see the parents how they react the, to the of the other children who then end up accusing him. And you have to wonder if maybe some of those parents have led their children in, you know, the wrong direction, the way Greta and that investigator do. But at least Teo and his wife, you're, absolutely, they're in this horrible, impossible position. And so, yeah, Greta and that early investigator, they're the ones who really blame. But my point being that as much as I hate children, I never hated Clara, the character, because she, again, she is also a victim. And neither does Maz Mickelson. Right, character. that is true. Lucas never <laughs> hates her. He feels really bad for her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So two quick points about that. I did think that she had already shown layers of a performance before the accusation even came with like, you know, when she was lost and how much she loved the dog and, you know, how she had a little crush on Mads and everything like that, you know. So I thought even before that, she was already like on a, uh, you know, the performance was already very strong. Also, yeah. the one scene, uh, there's a scene, you know, afterwards where they're all at a party and um, it ends up where Lucas and like Clara are like alone again. And that was a really uncomfortable scene. And, you know, he goes and he's like, let's go find your mom or whatever. And it's like, bro, why don't you go get another adult first? <laughs> and then just so like everything is witnessed here. So you don't have to go back over uh, through another situation like that ever again, you know? So. Right. I mean, that's true. And I think that's part of that frustration, but it also shows in a weird way, his continued innocence. That right. He's just this nice guy who wants to help kids. Right. Yeah, and, right. And that's what he continues to do, even after all the shit that he's been through. Yep. All right, Josh. Well, let's rate it out of, uh, uh Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> dead dogs. No, I don't want to do that. That's sad. So. Cute, cute little children. Maybe not the right uh, uh, one to go yeah, with I here suppose. either. I don't know. I was trying to find something nicer to Christmas pick there. dinners. Sure, yeah, there you go. Five yeah. Christmas dinners. I gave it three and a half Christmas dinners, Josh. Three that's and a half. half. Yeah, that's a lot of food. Um, <laughs> I give it two and a half Christmas dinners. I uh, I respect the effort, but I just feel like it doesn't it doesn't really work for me. So, Dave. I'm going four and a half. It would almost wow. be a five, but it's right. not a movie I would put on on a regular basis. So <laughs> yeah, know. this is not, you know, I, I, having seen it twice now, this is not a movie that is thing to watch more, more than once. I don't yeah. <laughs> so we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of the hunt. Welcome back to awesome movie year in this episode of our season on the films of 2012. We are talking about Thomas Vinterberg's The Hunt, which is our foreign film pick. And, you know, we've talked a lot about Vinterberg here and how this was sort of a, a new breakthrough film for him after the celebration had been acclaimed. And then he'd made a, a bunch of movies that were maybe less highly regarded. And since this film, I feel like he's he's really maintained that higher level. Obviously, another round, uh, hugely, hugely acclaimed his most successful film of all. I, I really liked his uh, English language film, Far From the Matting Crowd. That's an adaptation of the classic novel um, that I thought was just a really fantastic period piece. And, you know, it's tough sometimes to take classic literature and find a new way to present it. But I thought that movie was fantastic. And, uh, you know, we talked about limited series. 
He is currently making a limited series called Families Like Ours, which is about a near future story about the effects of climate change on families in Denmark. So that I'm sure will be uh, uplifting and happy. It's a it's a theme we keep coming back to in these limited series, isn't it? We've talked about a few limited series that are all based on uh, ecological disasters and human relationships. Uh, yeah. So, but um, I agree with you. I I want to see more. I watched the celebration. I don't know how much you want me to spoil that, but that <laughs> that is a wild ass movie right there. So yeah. Um, as you said, uh, I, I I'll spoil it a little. So okay. Um, so you know, it's a 60th uh, birthday for like the patriarch of this rich family, and it's a little weird because like they're having the party, but at the same time, one of his four kids had committed suicide. So it seems like his party's like almost on, maybe on the same day as the funeral, but we never see anyone at the funeral. They all go to this estate that, um, you know, the family had bought and our kids grew up in and there's this big, huge party. And, um, the twin brother of the woman, uh, who, the kid who killed herself, that was an adult at this time, you know, gives a speech about the dad at the party after everyone's revering him and talking about every, all this great stuff and what a great man he is. And the, and the, the guy says, you know, I remember when we first move in here and, um, you know, uh, we had all this fun and then, you know, dad, you loved your baths and you would go to the bath. And you would lock us in a room and you would rape me and my sister. And, uh, you know, that uh, that's a memory I have from this place. And that's like the speech he gives to the whole party. I'm going to go watch that right as soon as we finish recording. And it's like crazy because like, you know, no one really knows, like, is this guy playing a joke? Should we take this seriously? We're all rich people. Like, do we even care, you know, and everything? And it like. It deals with this thing, which is like the extremely serious accusation in a in a way where like the accusation is like the least important part of the, the thing. They're like, how could you do this at dad's party? And, you know, you don't know what you're <laughs> saying and all this stuff. And, you know, they they have to come to terms with all of it over the time. But it's a crazy movie, dude. Is it funny or I mean meant to be? It attempts to be funny and it it's like you know like I the hunt the hunt's not funny but you did say it straddles the the line on tone and I think I think another round also straddles a few different lines on tone and and I think this is something that Vinterberg is is good at. Yeah, and I mean maybe there's that you know we're talking about the Scandinavian sort of uh, perspective or whatever there is that dark sense of humor or whatever that you can deal with something this kind of subject matter and, uh, and, and see it as humorous or funny in, in some kind of twisted way. Josh, uh, Vingerberg got a best director nom for another round, which won best international feature. You mentioned Lars von Trier. Do you have any, uh, thoughts on the other founders of Dogma 95, Christian Levering or Soren Krag Jacobsen? I am not familiar with either of them. Is Suzanne Beer not a Dogma 95 figure? Because she's gone on to be pretty successful internationally. I thought she was, but maybe I'm wrong about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, maybe she's these are Danish. the guys who found it. Uh, okay, yeah. So to Tobias Lindholm, Josh, who co-wrote this, 
film, The Hunt, I think did one of those uh, big time uh, Danish series called The Investigation. And last year, he directed one of the most disappointed movies of the entire year for me, which was The Good Nurse. Oh, I liked that movie, actually. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I didn't see The Investigation um, he's also made a couple movies as a director uh, beyond The Good Nurse, uh, A Hijacking and A War. And I think all of these are these very serious kind of more social realist. I mean, uh, with with contemporary political issues, A Hijacking is about a hijacking. And I did see that film and it's dealing with the idea of this this corporation and what they're willing to sacrifice when pirates have taken over their their ship with their cargo on it. And a war which is about uh, soldiers coming back from uh, Afghanistan, Danish soldiers. So uh, The Good Nurse, of course, is that's an American film, but about, you know, based on a true story of this serial killer nurse. I, I thought that movie was effective. And I think he has this more, maybe less arch, less dark, more naturalistic, I don't know, style to his films as a director. Uh, I'm going to disagree. I don't, I, I stylistically, I like the look of the movie, but that movie could not get out of neutral. You want to talk about a movie that was in one gear the whole time. That was uh, the good nurse for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I know response was other people felt that same way, but I, I thought it was, I thought it was effectively done and I can't stand Eddie Redmayne. So for me to enjoy a movie with him, you know, it takes a lot. You, you had mentioned some of, you know, the amount of uh, prestige this film got uh, the Robert awards or the Robert awards, the Danish mm -hmm. Academy awards. This film had 14 nominations, wins for Best Danish Film, Best Director, Original Screenplay, Actor, Supporting Actress, the Audience Award, and Editing. Wow, yeah. So even even the the average Danish folks, you know, the Audience Award in America. Yeah, the People's like, Choice Award goes right. to the hunt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That tells you something. This is the Avengers Endgame of Denmark or whatever. Josh, uh, you know I love Mads. Yes. Dave knows I love Mads. We talk about him on our uh, Piecing It Together episodes a lot. Any uh, favorite performances? Because I, I can name two that I, I love besides another round. Well, I mean, I know you really liked Writers of Justice, which is another Danish yeah, film. Which is crazy as well. It's yes. insane and great. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the director of that film, Anders Thomas Jensen, who is another Danish filmmaker, He's one who's worked with Maz uh, many, many times. I think he's made, as a director, he's made five films, including Writers of Justice, and Maz has been in every single one of them. So That's they, cool. They have a long-term collaboration. Yeah, so I, I, I like that one as well. I mean, he's in a lot of blockbustery uh, American films, which, you know, the quality varies, but he's always good. I mean, I feel like even like something like the last Fantastic Beasts movie, which is just dreadful, and he's got to step in and replace Johnny Depp, he does a totally good job with what he's given because he's that talented. Uh, he is. I got to recommend and high, high recommendation. Uh, go watch Ar Arctic, 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 Arctic. It's just called Arctic. Um, but if you like saying the sea, it's just called Arctic. Uh, anyway, it's basically uh, Mads gets, uh, 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 you know, there's a, he's in a little passenger plane that get, crashes into the Arctic. It's cast away in the Arctic, right? And it's just him, the whole movie. And it's pretty amazing. And also the filmmakers who I know they shot like in upper Canada in the middle of the winter, like talk about harrowing conditions to shoot this thing. And that is a, a really good piece, that film. Yeah, I'm curious about that. I haven't seen that. And I feel like it's 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 I'm I'm confusing it because Maz also stars in a film from like a year or two later called Polar, 
And I feel like these these titles are very similar and uh, with the same star. And I, I, I couldn't remember the difference. I haven't seen either one. I'm sure if I watched the movies that I would understand the difference. But I'm, I'm curious to see Arctic as well. Yeah, I recommend it. And like we said, he's going to be in the new Indiana Jones. Thomas Bo Larson does work with uh, Vinterberger Loft. Uh, Josh, of course, he played the bad guy on the latest season of Entrapped, which is the Icelandic uh, murder series Traps latest installation. So that was cool to see. He's in a new movie that sounds insane also called, I think it's called Bye Bye Baby. And it's uh, two couples who are both in fertility treatment uh, discover that the clinic has swapped the fertilized eggs, setting off an avalanche of absurd conflicts. Hmm. Yeah, that does sound interesting and, and strange. And yeah, I mean, all of the supporting actors in this film are uh, or most or most of the supporting actors are, are are regularly working in the Scandinavian film industry. None of them as big international stars in the way that Maz Mikkelsen is. Um, I did because I was so taken with Annika Wetterkopf's performance as the child. I was curious and I looked her up. And, um, you know, as, as is often the case with child actors, she didn't go on to, you know, continue an acting career. She only has one other credit in a film from 2017, another Danish film that I was not familiar with and clearly, you know, has gone on to a normal person's life. But I was I was sort of amused slash horrified by this. I was just Googling her to see if there was anything else about what else she's been doing. And I found an Instagram page of hers that e either only had two posts or maybe there were only two public posts or whatever. but you know, one of the only posts that's available is this little short video of her. And she's, I think, 19 or 20 now. And so she's kind of posing, you know, somewhat sexily in like a mirror or whatever, like anyone would on Instagram. And uh, one of the the number one comments on this uh, post is someone saying, why did you lie about Lucas? <laughs> <laughs> that's insane. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this poor this poor young woman's legacy in her life when she's just trying to post a thirst trap on Instagram. Oh man, I was gonna. Uh, 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 you know what, Josh? I there's more fun facts we could go over, but I don't think we're gonna top that one. So you yeah. know, I think that's where we got to cut this thing today. All right, fair <laughs> enough. So that that is the hunt, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Hunt us down online and on social media. Oh, good pun, Josh. Thank you. We're at awesomemovieyear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. If you do uh, comment on us, don't ask us about our uh, feelings on Lucas and <laughs> how we uh, <laughs> treated him. Uh, awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I am at Jason Harris Comedy or J Harris Comedy. On all the socials, Eat This Comedy also there on Instagram. EatThisComedy.com is a website. Go for Jason is not. But it is my letterbox. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my website is also not much of anything, but it's still there. Check out JoshBellHatesEverything.com. More stuff at JoshBellHatesEverything on Facebook, at SignalBleed on Twitter, and on Letterboxd. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. You can uh, harass a poor child about Lucas there as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, Jason, what do we have in our next episode? Josh, it's my pick. What did you pick? Oh, I should tell you. Um, <laughs> Josh, we're going to continue with our love of Canada. 
this season. I picked a really fun hockey movie that I think surprises a lot of people when they watch it, just how uh, much depth and how you know well-crafted it is. Uh, it is called Goon, starring Sean William Scott, and I really like it, and that's why I picked it. That's a smart move on your part, then. Yeah, because so. as you know, sometimes I pick things I've never even watched. Right, and that you don't like, which is a, which is a weird <laughs> weird strategy. Well, but, you know, we, we all have our ways. So. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so tune in next time for Goon, and thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.